So this morning and next Sunday, I've been assigned to cover the Fourth Commandment. Um, this is probably one of the most debated. Um, maybe even one of the one of the ones we don't think about a lot. We see a lot of different views on it. Um, and I've got two Sundays to cover it, to cover the positives and the negatives, which is not a lot of time. So I want to try to handle, especially today, some of the ideas that I think are out there in the larger Christian circles about the fourth commandment, whether it's still applicable, what day is it to be recognized on. Um, and then I want to challenge us to think about um, what is required in this commandment. Before we do that, I'll open us in prayer and pose a question. So please pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you uh, for this day that we have that we call the Lord's Day. We set it aside unto you, Lord, uh, yes, in how we call it, but, but Lord, also indeed, We recognize, Lord, um, that we often fall short of this command, just like the other nine. But nonetheless, we ask you, O Lord, to help us to understand what you require of us in this commandment. Help us to understand the dangers of the things forbidden in this commandment. Lord, we are grateful for your patience and your mercy that you have on us. We ask, especially on this day, O Lord, as we gather together, the communion of Christ, that you would nourish us, that you would point out where we failed and lead us to Christ anew this morning. Remind us, O Lord, the joy of salvation. Help the worries of this world from our work and our recreations and our families. Take a back seat for a little bit, Lord, as we prepare are preparing for corporate worship after this lesson. So, Lord, be with us now as we approach your word and we approach your law. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, today is a day widely by our culture that is a regular day. Um, it's a day for taking care of our own business. Um, it's anything but the Lord's Day. Uh, and yes, it's Sunday, but I think it's helpful that we name it the Lord's Day because even in saying that, it kind of gives us a little bit of a reminder each time we say it, today's different. When you hear this command, this is the same question I posed on the positives of the third commandment. When you hear this command, and we'll read it verbatim later, but when you hear the command, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. What do you think? I use this all the time. If a little kid comes up and asks you, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, what does the fourth commandment command me to do? What do you say to them? What are some ideas? Our kids, it's a day of rest, yeah. rest, an act of rest. Yeah. Not separation. It's definitely part of it. So a couple of questions that I think other Christians have about this command is, is it still binding? Uh, part of what cut, got cut out of this lesson was a case that it is. Uh, the reason being, because I think some of the other points are really going to be more important considering our circles. We are operating under the fact in going through these Ten Commandments that it's a part of the moral law of God, right? And we believe that the moral law of God is eternally binding. Uh, we believe that the moral law is most clearly expressed in the Ten Commandments. And so we already believe that this commandment is applicable to us where we may disagree and where we, where we obviously all um, need, to cut, need to improve is, is what does it require of us? What are the ways in which maybe we're neglecting this commandment? 
because um, there are certainly ways that we neglect all of them. But specifically, we're going to focus today on the four. Uh, we will not focus today on the shall nots. Um, we're going to focus on that next Sunday. So I'd encourage you to even think now, if you're going to be here next Sunday, maybe you have questions about what we should or shouldn't do. We're not going to focus on that today. Um, but I'm going to cover it under three topics, so maybe you can just be thinking about that for next Sunday as far as um, what about work? Um, what about causing others to work would be the second point. And then also we're going to talk about recreation and, and how those three things come into play with the fourth commandment. But today specifically what we're going to look at is is understanding the Sabbath and this idea of a one in seven formula. And we're also going to talk a little bit about uh, is this command obligating us to Saturday, to Sunday, and, and, and another concept that a lot of people hold is, or is, is the Sabbath something that we keep every day? So, um, Sabbath literally means rest. So when we hear the command, remember the Sabbath day, it's, as, as Aaron has already noted, what they tell their children is it's a day of rest. Um, more specifically, it's a day of rest unto the Lord. But I want us to look to Scripture real quick to see this idea of one in seven. So then we're going to start out in Genesis. I'll take this off so I don't like I'm doing too much work up here. Good morning. I'll just read from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We're all a little bit familiar, I'm sure, with the Genesis passage that walks through God creating in six days. Uh, and then that's finished. God finishes that work um, <clears throat> on the seventh day, or on the sixth day, and he, he, he does something unique on the seventh day. And what I'm trying, the point I'm trying to make here is that this command or this idea of resting, working six and resting seven, didn't start in Exodus chapter 20. It did not start for the people of God when Moses wrote the law and the Ten Commandments, and there's going to be two areas we look at as proof text. Um, but where did this idea come from? Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 reads as this, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day, from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Immediately, we should understand because God has given us the example, there's something very important that God deems in working for six days and then having one of those days set aside for something else. Um, we don't get any indication here that it was Saturday, right? Just from this text alone, we just get an indication that there was work that occurred on six days, and then on the seventh day there was something different that happened. There was a rest from those labors. Uh, this is the first place we get this concept of one in seven, and I'm going to keep coming back to that as we walk through and maybe even and as we address what day do we recognize it now in the New Testament. Flip over to Exodus chapter 16. 
please. Verse 27 is where I'll start. And just so you know, this is also before the giving of the law. This is also before Exodus chapter 20. So maybe we can see this 1 in 7 formula again. Exodus chapter 16, verse 27 through 30, it says, Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. This is when the Lord was providing food for his people. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? So right here we have an indication that this idea of one in seven rest keeping was occurring even in the people of God before the law was given. Or before we see the law given in Exodus 20. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore he gives you the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man get out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. This is the actual command. This is the, finds its place as the fourth commandment. And again, I'll remind us, the very first verse of Exodus 20 reminds the people that this is gracious. He has already brought them out of bondage from Egypt. So one of the reasons they look to these laws as good things is in adoration for what God has done for them. And the same applies to the fourth commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. And we'll get some dialogue here in a minute. I just want to give us these proof texts just to illustrate this idea of 1 and 7. 1 and 7. There's a pattern there. Exodus 20, verse 8 reads, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Something important about the fourth commandment and keeping it is it should remind us what God did at the very foundations of the world. What God gave us an example of. Uh, the other thing to note is that in the Old Testament, Saturday was the day that they set aside for rest. There were all sorts of Sabbaths in the Old Testament weekly Sabbaths, monthly Sabbaths, yearly Sabbaths. Particularly these days were used to stop working for celebrations, uh, for worship, and for feast. Uh, and we could look at a bunch of scriptures for that, but just for time purposes, we're going to continue on. <clears throat> so this 1 in 7 formula we first see by God's example in creation. And, like we said at the beginning when the law is given in Exodus 20, he reminds them that it was because he brought them out of bondage. Uh, one more place is in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And then we won't be flipping as much, I promise. Deuteronomy 
it's repeated, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. I'm in verse 12, chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. That your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. When we read about it in Exodus, the reason given for them to keep this day was God has set an example before you in the creation of the world. He made the world in six days, and he saw fit himself to sanctify that seventh day. In Deuteronomy, the reason that is attached to the very same commandment is for them to also be reminded that God brought them out of slavery. The labor and intense um, <coughs> oppression that God's people were receiving in Egypt, they received freedom from that. And so those are two things that they were pointed to think about whenever they were remembering and sanctifying the Lord's Day. And forgive my terrible handwriting. I have a good reason now. I find out I have a cyst in my wrist, so I can blame that for my terrible handwriting. So God the Father points them to this commandment because he gave them the example in creation and because he saved them from the bondage of Egypt. Okay? That's going to be important later. So the first point outside of us seeing this idea of one in seven, and we readily confess that in the Old Testament, this Sabbath that was commanded in Commandment 4 was recognized by the Old Testament church on Saturday. Okay, That's when they rested from their labors. That's when they engaged in worship. That's when they also celebrated certain feasts. Uh, but this one in seven formula is all over the Old Testament because they had Sabbaths weekly, monthly, and um, even every seven years, that seventh year was a Sabbath year. So the question is, does it matter what day we recognize? What do you think? What have you heard? That every day is a Sabbath? I've heard that one. Um, I've heard that uh, this, this law is just ceremonial. It has nothing moral about it. Um, have you heard that when Jesus came, now we have rest every day. Have we heard that? So one of the things that I want to deal with first is, is the Sabbath every day? Maybe you've never heard it, but I, but I hear it all the time, right? That we keep that every day because in Christ now, we have rest from all the law. But that goes against and flies in the face of God's command. Even if you go back to creation, God says, get all your work done in six days. And rest on seven. He doesn't say you can't worship me on those other six days. He said, but you make sure you get all your work done on those six days. And then on this day, you sanctify it unto me. You have a holy rest unto me. And right now in the Old Testament, those are the two reasons we have for the fourth commandment. I need some help with a couple of scriptures. If someone would look up John chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, and Revelation chapter 1. So, so when we 
say that every day is the same. I want you to see that that kind of openly flies against what God has commanded uh, in the Old Testament. Okay, we're going to get to the New Testament here in a minute, but it, but it openly flies in the face that God says, you will work six days and you will rest one. This day is unique. There's something unique about this day. There's something different about this day that's commanded in the fourth commandment. But what do we see in the New Testament? Some will say in the New Testament that the Sabbath has been abrogated. But while you've got your place, I want to flip to uh, Mark chapter 2. Nowhere in the New Testament is the fourth commandment abrogated or done away with. And if there was any reason or a point where that might happen, you would think it would be in Mark chapter 2. Because Jesus himself is confronted uh, and rebuked for, for, for supposedly breaking the fourth commandment. Mark chapter 2, verse 23, I'll read. It says, Now it happened that he went through, that's Jesus, he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And they went, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest. And also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus didn't say, I've come to abrogate the fourth commandment. In fact, Jesus tells us he comes to fulfill the law. Jesus corrects their misunderstanding of the fourth commandment. Jesus doesn't quote some New Testament verse to to support uh, his argument to the Pharisees. Where does he go? He quotes a practice that David did in the Old Testament. Okay? So why do we worship on Sunday instead of Saturday? Why don't we continue the Jewish Sabbath or the Sabbath in the Old Testament of Saturday? Uh, Who's got John 20? Who's going to read? Verse 19 and verse 26, if you have it. Don't have to read through, just 19 and 26. same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And then 26. Yes, ma'am. And after eight days, his disciples went again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and he stood in the midst and said, Peace be with you. What we start to see, especially after Jesus returns, after his resurrection, we start to see this concept of the first day of the week. We don't have an explicit verse that says, move it from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week. But what we have in the New Testament is a pattern where now they're starting to meet and gather for worship on the first day of the week. Jesus showing up on the first day of the week. Um, Acts chapter 20, whoever had that chapter, could you please read verse 7? 
There are many verses we could go to, but I'm just trying to narrow this down. I want you to just see a few that just illustrate this pattern of now we get some special meanings of the first day. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. And when we hear that breaking of bread in the New Testament, it should cause us, this was a fellowship. This is a worshipful fellowship. And then where do we get this name of the Lord's Day? Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So the question is, what do we see? What we start to begin to see, and there are other scripture references if you're interested in that, just, just speak with me after class, but what we start to see is the New Testament church, specifically after uh, the resurrection of Christ, starts to gather on the first day of the week. There's more emphasis on this day, um, and we need to understand why. We're going to read our confession later in our book of church order that, that explicitly make the statement of why we moved from Saturday to Sunday. But that's just kind of an easy statement. I want to at least go over some of the proof texts that are given in support of those documents that we're going to read later. Um, but I wrote this on the board so you can help see some of the similarities. And, and if it doesn't help, maybe my words will. But here's the rub. This command is morally binding. And we know that God the Father showed us in his own example in creation in the Old Testament. He also said, keep this because... I've freed you from bondage. I've freed you from enslavement from Egypt. And then we see a transition, but why do we see the transition? Well, then we have God the Son come on the scene in time and space, in flesh, and what does he bring about? He brings reconciliation. In time and space, he accomplishes the work that gets done in our hearts, making us a new creation. So not only is he involved in a sense in creation, but he's also involved in freeing us from our sins. You see the similarities between God commanding the fourth commandment. These are the same people, right? You see the similarities. Why do we keep the Lord's Day? Why do we confess as Presbyterians that this commandment is still binding? Well, because we acknowledge that when the world was being made, God set up this one in seven formula. We acknowledge that our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament church were given freedom from the Egyptians. Freedom from bondage is specifically what's said. And we know that in the New Testament, if it were not for Christ, we would still be in bondage to our sin. We know in the New Testament and in Christ, we are a new creation. And so we see the Old, the, the new Test, the Old Testament church maintaining this idea of one in seven. And we see the same pattern in the New Testament church with this gathering on the first day of the week. This one in seven formula. So that kind of, hopefully that clear, maybe clarifies some things of what we mean when we read this commandment. And nothing speaks to it better than our Westminster Standards and our Book of Church Order, actually. And we'll read those documents later, but I wanted to go over some of the Scripture text. Thinking back to Mark chapter 2, when Jesus was called out for, quote-unquote, breaking the Sabbath, um, there's a verse there, Mark chapter 2, verse 27, that says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. What does this verse tell us? This tells us that there is a blessing in this commandment. 
often when you have fourth commandment discussions with people, maybe not Presbyterians outside of the church, they're like, oh, well, that's Old Testament. We're not under that anymore. But that would just be like saying, well, that's, it's just prayer. We don't have to do it. Prayer is something God has made to be a blessing to us. Giving us his word was something that we could, in a way that we can read it, is meant to be a blessing to us, not a burden. And the fourth commandment, asking us to keep one day different than the other six, is meant to be a blessing to us. Not a yoke, not a burden. And I want us to kind of see that now. Um, I did give one proof text. If you just want to write it down, we're not going to flip to it. But in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 23, Old Testament, there is a woman, and um, she tells her husband that she wants to go and speak with the prophet. And the husband's response is, well, it's not a new moon or a Sabbath. Why would you go speak to the prophet? So this verse kind of gives us an indication that it wasn't just rest, right? It wasn't just everybody go sleep and stop working. But there was a sanctification of the day. It was a rest unto the Lord. In other words, on this day, they stopped all their worldly labors. And they rested in the Lord. They heard from prophets. They gathered, as we saw in the New Testament, with the saints for fellowship, for the breaking of bread. And so even in the Old Testament, this idea of a Sabbath rest is not an idea of necessarily just snoozing all day. It's not a day of idleness, and we'll get into that more uh, next Sunday. Uh, I want to read to us now, which I normally would lead from, but the Westminster Larger Catechism. This is from question 116 and 117 as the PCA is adopted. It says, what is required of the fourth commandment? The fourth commandment requireth of all men the sanctifying or keeping holy to God such set times as he hath appointed in his word, expressly one day in seven, which was the seventh from the beginning of the world to the resurrection and the first of the week ever since and so continue to the end of the world which is the Christian Sabbath, and in the New Testament called the Lord's Day. How is the Sabbath or the Lord's Day to be sanctified? The Sabbath or the Lord's Day is to be sanctified by a holy resting all the day, not only from such works as are at all times sinful, but even from such worldly employments and recreations as are other days lawful, and making it our delight to spend the whole time, except as much as to be taken up in works of necessity and mercy, and the public and private exercises of God's worship, and to the end we are to prepare our hearts, and with such foresight, diligence, and moderation to dispose and seasonably dispatch our worldly business that we may be more free and fit to the duties of that day. Admittedly, that, that's a mouthful. But what the catechism question is trying to get across is that this is supposed to be a day set aside as far as what this commandment requires, is for us to worship God in a unique way on this day than is available to us the other six. Now, right offhand, what is something unique about this day that we don't have the opportunity on the other six? Corporate worship. What we get when we gather here in morning and evening to hear the ministry of the Word, we hear Adam give us the ministry of the Word, the spiritual food for us. But... Is this commandment, when God says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, does it just mean 
come to the morning service and come to the evening service. And, and maybe Sunday school, that gets us three hours. But I don't think we can go to one verse in Scripture where a day is defined as two or three hours. Um, so we need to ask ourselves, what are we supposed to do with the rest of the time? It's clear corporate worship should happen. There are some congregations that actually do meet <laughs> all day. They'll have, a, they'll have a morning service. They'll have fellowship every Lord's Day. And then they'll run into the evening service. And that has to be quite helpful for families to determine um, how they're going to spend that day unique from the other six. But for us, we have a morning and evening. And so we, a lot of times what do we do? We go home or we have other activities. But this commandment is, 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 is asking us to sanctify this day in a special way. It does Acts of mercy and necessity. And, and do, it actually encourages us to do acts of mercy and necessity. And I know I said I'm covering the positives today, but I'm actually going to cover that in, when, I, when I talk about the shall not work. How do we navigate through that as Christians um, today? Um, our book of church order, and I printed a copy so I didn't have an extra book up here. This is my, actually one of my favorite chapters, and it comes from the Directory of Public Worship, chapter 48. And we actually have clear um, advice, clear encouragement from our book of church order, our gov- one of our governing documents, that tells us how we should keep this day. I'm not going to read the whole thing because we've already covered some of it. It talks about the fourth commandment, that from the resurrection of Christ we now keep it on Sunday. Uh, But I'll start in 48-4. It says, The whole day is to be kept holy to the Lord and to be employed in the public and private exercises of religion. Therefore, it is requisite that there be a holy resting all the day from unnecessary labors and an abstaining from those recreations which may be lawful on other days and also as much as possible from the worldly thoughts and conversation. Let the provisions for the support of the family on that day be so ordered that others be not improperly detained from the public worship of God nor hindered from sanctifying the day. Let every person and family in the morning and by secret and private prayer for themselves and others, especially for the assistance of God to their minister and for a blessing upon his ministry by the reading of scriptures and by the holy meditation, prepare for communion with God in his public ordinances. Let the time not used for public worship be spent in prayer and devotional reading, and especially in the study of scriptures, meditation, catechizing, religious conversation, the singing of psalms, hymns, or spiritual songs, visiting the sick, relieving the poor, teaching the ignorant, holy resting, and in performing such like duties of piety, charity, mercy this commandment is no different than the other nine when we look at it it reflects the character of God and we see that we fall short this commandment is just as hard for us to keep as it is for us to to battle the commandment to not murder because we know that God says even when we're angry at our brothers and sisters it's murderous and so this isn't this is to set up something that you see as a standard It's to remind you of how we can improve. And it's to also point to the fact that Christ kept this perfectly. And if you are in Christ, his righteousness is imputed to you. I want to give an analogy. Oftentimes, when you read among the Puritans and and many of the Reformers, they talk about the Sabbath being a market day for the soul. 
So uh, in my circles, at least, my wife does the grocery shopping. So let's think about it this way on, uh, on uh, more down-to-earth terms. Why do we go grocery shopping? We go grocery shopping to get food for our families because it feeds them, keeps them healthy. We go to the store to get medicine all throughout the week. Normally, people go to the grocery store what, once a week, twice a week, or um, we're, we're, we're eating you know, multiple times a day. But why do we do this? so that we are physically taken care of, so that our children, so that our spouses, so that ourselves, we aren't malnourished. This is why the Lord has given us this day. This is why in Mark 2.27, he says, this was made for you. Today is the day, the Lord's day is the day that we are commanded to set aside to take care of the nourishment of our souls. You can read here from the documents we have as our constitution. Things like reading scripture, singing songs, attending public worship, and just coming together with other people who love the Lord and His Word. That is nourishment for your soul. The temptation, just like the rest of the Nine Commandments, is to <coughs> neglect it. It's to neglect the things that God has given us, neglect the, the, the barriers that God has given us, and to seek our own pleasure. We all do that. We all go astray. But I want you to see the blessings of keeping the Lord's Day. Because if we focus on what should we do, how can we make this day different, the other questions we ask on what's permissible really start to fade away. We'll go over that more next Sunday. But if you, if you focus on how can you make this day different, how can you nourish your soul today, your spiritual condition, how can you take care of that today in yourself and in your family? What is the best way you can do that? All the other things that are lawful on the other days Start to be easy, yes or no. And we're not going to give you a, I'm not going to give you a cookie cutter schedule. <laughs> as much as I'm type A and OCD and what you need to do each hour on the Lord's Day. But ask yourself this question. Is there more to this commandment than coming to church? Surely that's included. Corporate worship is one of the ways this day is different from the other six. But what else is there to this commandment? Are there more blessings? Are there more things that I have time for on this day that I can set aside to take care of the spiritual condition of myself and my family? Some might say that there's no way this commandment is morally binding because, you know, the moral laws on everybody's heart. Even people who reject Christianity and who reject uh, Jesus Christ as the way to be reconciled to God, they will acknowledge readily that it is wrong to kill someone. Outright murder. Someone who's, who poses no risk to you. That person would also be very greatly offended if you took their money. That person would be very offended if you disrespected them, if you ran their name through the mud, if you caused something in their life to change that made them unhappy. But, but look at society as a whole. Is it, is it not readily accepted that we don't work every day of the week? Granted, there are some, some jobs that do, but how many hours do we consider a full work week? 40. People will readily take off on Saturday. Usually, right, the, the average work week, right, is Monday through Friday. So even our society, even people who have no love for the gospel or the word of God, would probably have an objection to being forced to work 24-7. So this concept of resting... This concept of getting all of our work done so that we can eat, so that we have roof, clothes, is still ingrained in the hearts of those 
that have no love for God. So an application, and just one, is, is what I was alluding to earlier. How can we make sure, what is the blessing in this commandment? The blessing in this commandment is that God knows that we need spiritual nourishment. He knows that we have to take care of ourselves through work and labor and putting food on the table six days of the week. But he tells us, and that's not a command to work six days straight. We have five-day work days and work weeks and four-day work weeks and some three. Some people are part-time. But what is God commanding? He's saying, whatever work and recreations you got going on that are lawful, get them done in six days. So that this day you can in a special way be nourished by me. Have rest in me. I want to give a quote from Matthew Henry in closing. And then if there's any questions, maybe you have questions about the Sabbath, you, you want to tell me now and that will help me maybe prepare an answer um, for the next lesson. Because we're going to get into the shall nots next Sunday. But hear this quote from Matthew Henry in his commentary on Jeremiah chapter 17. He says, It is a true observation which some have made that the streams of all religion run either deep or shallow according to the banks of the Sabbath are kept up or neglected. Are there any questions specifically about the Lord's Day that you have or a question of interest that you might have as far as things you should or shouldn't do, things like that. I'm not going to answer that now, but um, it helps me anticipate and we'll, we'll give you an answer for next Sunday. Or are there um, challenges to keeping this command that you've heard and, and not felt comfortable answering? If not, I'll close us in prayer. Please bow with me. Lord, we thank you for this command. We acknowledge that, uh, like the rest of your law, we fail to meet the standard. But Lord, you've changed our hearts. You've enabled us to love your law. We ask, Lord, that you would grow our love for you. Grow our understanding of specifically this commandment. We each, O oh Lord, confess that we need spiritual nourishment. We need your law. We need you to take care of us. We need you to help us fight temptation. We need you to help us, even in our daily task of work, O oh Lord, to work as unto you. So we plead, O oh Lord, that you would help us have this law, as well as the rest of it, engraved on our hearts, that we might love it, that we might be molded by it. And, O oh Lord, we are grateful that you've asked us not to walk um, this life by ourselves, but in a communion of other brothers and sisters in Christ, that we might help love one another and sharpen one another and grieve with one another and rejoice with one another. So Lord, we ask now that you would be with us as we enter into a time of corporate worship, that you would give us joy, that you would be with Adam as he uh, preaches the word. It's in Christ's name we ask these things. Amen.